not, um, would feel comfortable going to. Um, yeah, and a lot of the songs rap about, you know, he's rapping about Jesus, but at the same time, most kids can feel more comfortable in that setting than in other settings. Um, and I believe that's all the announcements um, that I have. So anyway, let's pray, and I will, we will jump into the message this morning. Dear God, I pray, Lord, for God this morning. Thank you, God, for the opportunity for just to be here, Lord, in your presence, God, as a body. God, I pray, Lord, that um, that God, the spirit that we have felt here so far, Lord, would just continue in the service, Lord, that you would speak um, through me, God, that you would remove my flesh out of the way, remove um, any vainglory, God, on my own part, and that you would have total glory and total praise um, through the rest of the service, God. God, I pray, Lord, that um, God, I pray, Lord, that my words in every way would be your words, God, and that and that you would just use me, God, to God to speak your truth this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you that know me probably can sense I'm a little um, reserved, maybe down or or whatever you want to call it compared to how I normally am. Um, my explanation this morning for kind of where we're headed is I'd like to just humbly come to you and share my burden um, and what I believe is is a word from the Lord, um, but coming from my perspective. So the title of the sermon is called A Millennial's Plea. Um, I'm obviously a millennial, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but there are things that I feel very strongly in my spirit that I'm concerned about um, as far as the church, not our church per se, but the church as a whole. Um, going forward, and I feel like if we're not careful, even as an individual, um, it's easy to fall into maybe trends of the culture or trends of uh, um, the church as a whole. So anyway, uh, thank you all for um, allowing me the opportunity to speak. Um, like I said, if, if I seem down, hopefully God will give me the, the, the joy and peace of the Lord to, to proclaim truth and yet at the same time um, be able to have a little bit of that joy at the same time. I would like to credit uh, those that have poured into me over the past six months. Those of you that are familiar with kind of what I'm involved in, uh, I go to Regent University, and I this I've spent at least this whole semester uh, kind of diving in for the first time to uh, uh, coursework with a spiritual formation class and a um, hermeneutics class, and it's been an honor to be able to be on a a campus with uh, a lot of great professors and, and great um, books and things like that and curriculum that we're kind of diving into. So some of this, the credit will go to individual professors or um, authors. Um, also, I think Brother Larry, actually, thank you for uh, turning me on to 105.5 FM. I was able to, since you mentioned, I, didn't, I was not even aware that station was around here, but that uh, is an is a amazing Christian uh, station. So anyway, that's uh, just another spot where I have been able to receive nourishment and refreshing from the Lord on my kind of my daily, you know, the daily grind of sorts. Um, I'm very blessed and uh, not even worthy of my grind because my grind is all ministry all the time, whether it's writing a paper about something in the Bible or, you know, it's, it's, it, it may be taxing, but yet it's a kind of taxing that, you know, it's a privilege to be able to go through um, the process. 
to start off, um, to kind of explain this, this title a little further, as a millennium person that is, quote-unquote, the millennial generation, um, there are lots of stigma that are attached to that. I am 24, turning 25 in two weeks. Um, and honestly, I was sheltered, I think, compared to a lot of people in my generation. My, my family, um, they really did a great job of keeping me from things of the world and, and from a lot of the things that people my age have had to face and had to deal with. But at the same time, just being the age that I am, um, coming up in the school system, coming up in the different um, things that we have access to, I've come across lots of different stuff that have kind of worked um, not against me, but have just kind of made me have to dig a little deeper and and become stronger in my faith than I would have otherwise. Um, Things that you would not typically think to have to account. I want to start off by... Um, also, yeah, running towards the giant. I'll get to that in a second. But I want to start off with a quote that I ran across, ran across yesterday. Uh, didn't exactly want the quote to be this blunt, but it is what it is. So we'll just go ahead and um, look at it. So the quote goes, The most underappreciated fact about the future of American politics is that the so-called millennial generation, born between 1982 and 2000, is both the biggest... Yes, bigger than the baby boomers, and least religious religious generation in American history. Um, that's off of an atheist blog. I won't give credit to who or what. It, it, but I ran across it yesterday. Um, was just trying to get the other side's perspective on this, and I and I was familiar with the idea. I didn't know it was exact uh, exactly as blunt as that, or quite as sharp is that basically the entire blog was talking about how, quote, um, an advantage can be gained in the upcoming years because of the inexperience or, I'll use a youthy term, the flakiness of this generation, okay? And there's, and there's lots of things that you can um, put and, and blame for that. You, this is kind of a, a smartphone culture, a subscription culture. Things are going to... What can I have right now? What can I have that, that doesn't lock me into anything? Um, more people are, are going to Netflix and things of that nature as opposed to even cable. There's lots of, there's lots of standard, long-time institutions that are having an issue with the younger generation because of the way things have expanded as far as the Internet and things of that nature. One of those institutions is quote-unquote religion. Um, it, it's just that simple. Um, I, I have a, a very difficult disconnect um, talking to other people that are my age or people that are maybe a little older, a little younger than I. Um, not as a, as a, I can't paint with a broad brush, but as a general rule, um, there's less commitment to the idea of the church. Um, I, don't, I can't say to the idea of God. I don't think we've gone that far yet, but that's kind of the trend, okay? So this is what I'm speaking kind of to you guys about this this morning, because I, I feel as the church that we have a responsibility. We have a stance that we have to stand up for what we know to be true. And I often feel like the way we stand up for things might not necessarily be the best approach, okay? And so that's kind of, that's kind of where we're headed. But if uh, you will look with me at Ecclesiastes 12... 
I'm reading from the Amplified, uh, primarily because I want to uh, make the imagery a little more obvious in this passage. Uh, we actually studied Ecclesiastes as a youth group uh, several weeks back, and we, we talked about this chapter. I don't even know if we really went into the full imagery that was presented in the chapter, um, just because there is so much. Um, I won't go into it this morning, uh, but I'm using the Amplified to kind of convey that in a, in a more obvious, clear point. This is the twelfth and final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember earnestly also your creator, that you are not your own, but his property now, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come or the years draw near, when you will say of physical pleasures, I have no enjoyment in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, the sight is impaired, and the clouds of depression return after the rain of tears. In the day when the keepers of the house, the hands and the arms tremble, and the strong men, the feet and the knees, bow themselves, and the grinders, the molar teeth, cease because they are few. Those who look out of the windows, the eyes are darkened. When the doors, the lips, are shut in the streets, and the the sound of the grinding of the teeth is low, and one rises up at the voice of a bird and the crowing of a cock, and all the daughters of music, the voice and the ear, are brought low. Also, when the old are afraid of danger from that which is high, and fears are in the way, and the almond tree, their white hair, blooms, and the grasshopper, a little thing, is a burden. And desire and appetite fail, because man goes to his everlasting home, and the mourners go about the streets or marketplace. Remember your creator earnestly now before the silver cord of life is snapped apart, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. In other words, in the whole circulatory system of blood would cease to function. Then shall the dust out of which God made man's body return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Vapor of vapors and futility of futility, says the preacher. All is futility, emptiness, falsity, vainglory, and transitoriness. And furthermore, because the preacher was wise, he, Solomon, still taught the people knowledge, and he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought acceptable words, even to write down rightly words of truth or correct sentiment. The words of the wise are like prodding goads and firmly fixed in the mind. Like nails are are the collected sayings which are given as proceeding from one shepherd. But about going further than the words given by one shepherd, my son, be warned. Of making many books, there is no end, so do not believe everything you read, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. All has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. 
For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. Well, we're off to a good note now, right? If you wonder, I read the entire chapter because I, I could not in good conscience read the first nine verses and just leave you with that. But why would I choose that passage? This chapter kind of gives you the entire feel of Ecclesiastes. Um, if you think that was dark, most of Ecclesiastes feels about the same way. That's actually pretty lightly spirited compared to the majority of it. But what's going on here is the picture of death, okay? And the reason I'm going here first is because this is one thing that all of humanity has in common and all of humanity agrees on, okay? All of humanity may have different ideas and we're going to do things our way, but no one has figured out a way to conquer that thing which is inevitable at some point in life, okay? We are in a finite place here. The other aspect of this book that is incredible is this is a window, an open door to a conversation with any person. People say, you know, I don't believe the Bible. There's nothing there. Ecclesiastes speaks to a, a, a consciousness that people have within their hearts. Okay? At, at any point, no matter what your background is, you always have this moment where you feel like this life that's out here, whether it's the American dream or whatever seems so nice and, and fulfilling, there are points where it seems meaningless, as the author of Ecclesiastes would say. He says, meaningless, meaningless. Okay, and we know that this life is full of all types of pleasures, but ultimately without God, there's nothing. Okay, now, now all of humanity may not have that whole picture, but they all know that there's a hole that they have to fill, and they have to figure out what it is that they can get that will fill it. They know that there's a need that they have to find a way to satisfy that need. Ecclesiastes is an incredible opportunity to open that door. Um, there is, as I said, there, there are changes that are, are starting to happen. Um, and I don't know if any of you have heard of the Barna study. The Barna study is a group that does particular statistics on the church. They have done studies saying currently now there are half as many Protestant churches in the United States as there were 100 years ago. That Brazil is now the most missionized country by Christian missionaries. Guess which country is number two? America's number two as the most place where missionaries come to preach the gospel. 1,400 pastors quit each month. Only 2% of American churches are growing by conversions. 15% are growing, but by people moving from other churches. 80% of churches are losing members in attendance or they're at zero growth. 7,000 churches close permanently each year, according to that study. That sounds terrible. So far, this has been all very depressing, but that's okay. I'm a big believer in truth. I'm a big believer in honesty. You can see why I was kind of burdened, but I feel like I have to be obedient to what the Lord has given me. I believe there has been a shift. Uh, that picture has been up there. The point of that picture is that you have China 
Vietnam, Indonesia, India, all inside that circle. There's about 7.2 billion people in the world. Over half of the people that are living in the world are living in that circle. Okay, we're familiar with the missions that, mission work that we support. Our brother in India, Moses Chowdhury, he does a phenomenal job with all the ministry they have there in India. So we know about that. I'm going to speak to you about China. Currently, right now, there are more Chinese that are thought to attend Sunday service each week than the Christians across the entire, not America, but the entirety, all the countries in Europe. The projections are that Chinese Christian faith will surpass the U.S. in 10 years, and that there may be near 250 million by the year 2030, making China the most Christian nation. Now, I, I, I feel I'm really big into playing devil's advocate, and I feel the devil's advocate question on where I'm going with this. Why does it make this big difference about the younger generation being less committed to the faith when we have other countries doing well? There's a key with the other countries that have exploded in their faith. China, even though now technically there are more Christians than there are communists by, by legal affiliation, regardless of that, it is still a communist state, and there are crosses that are yanked out of churches' yards. There are crosses and churches that are burned and closed down and all this kind of stuff. We have churches that are closing due to finances of people not attending. They have churches that are closing due to force, which doesn't actually close the church. It just closes the building. Amen? So I feel that there is something deeper going on here. There's something in the individual, okay? And America has been exceedingly blessed, and I praise God for that. It's all due to his grace. Currently, China is actually proceeding to become the number one economy. I'm not going to sit here and say that's because they're becoming a Christian nation. Well, that's not my place to say. But there are things that are happening in the world. I was having a conversation with a, a, a pastor from northwest Alabama, and he said that as he went to serve in the Vietnam War, he had a friend that basically went to Africa as a missionary. And he said in those 40 years, there was an incredible, incredible amount of growth in Africa. Okay, so, so these countries, it's not just the Asian countries, it's, it's you know, South America and Africa. It's happening all over the world. Okay, so to say Christ is not moving, to say that, that the church is dead, all these kind of things, they're completely false statements, okay? What you may see right here around the corner of these statistics that I read you, that does not say anything about our Savior. It does not say anything about the world. It more says kind of that there needs to be a little bit of a reality ch- check with those that are comfortable, okay? And I am preaching to myself as much as anyone, okay? Just so you guys know that. Um, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, whatever the comforts of a westernized culture as much as anybody. So that's where we are. Actually, I do want to give credit to uh, Thomas Fowler, that pastor. He's, he's in one of my classes. Um, they have faith in the younger generation, which I, I appreciate that faith coming from the older generation. Um, he said, you know, he's depending on the younger ones in seminary and, and whatnot to, quote, um, believe that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, which comes from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. 
But in other words, this thing is not over, okay? There may be a shift taking place, but at the same time, the church, all we have to do is to shift. Okay, if we shift with the shift, we can counteract it. Okay? In my opinion, the biggest thing that's going on in this country is the access of information. Okay, we all have questions. Okay, whether you, and I was talking to Chrissy about this um, during the week, but it's one of those things where I feel like even if you come into church on Sunday morning, and as Bill Larry said earlier, it, it, can it become kind of a checklist kind of thing? Typically, we have a good ability of, even if we're having kind of a rough time, we can still come to church and have our moment with the Lord. And even if we're not necessarily in the best of places, we can go home and check out. Okay, and, and we're all in that boat. Okay, it's not just me preaching to somebody else. Like there are times where I come and I don't feel the Sunday school lesson and I preach it. Sometimes God is able to use it and, you know, speak to somebody. But that doesn't necessarily mean I was in the right place. Okay, so we're all in this boat. But, but there's this place in our hearts where we have questions. Okay, everybody has questions of some degree. And the issue with people that are of the younger generation, the, the phrase Google it is very, is very common now. It wasn't so common before, but now it's a verb. Oh, just Google it. So these younger people, they just whip out their smartphone and they find the answer. They go to Yahoo Answers or whatever it is, and they get the answer. I have figured out how to do a lot of menial household things that I should have known how to do already or asked my parents, but I found it out from the computer. Okay, it's just, it's just a common way of life. It's, it's not necessarily these big ideas of life. It's like, you know, what kind of light bulb does my car need? I type in my car and I Google it and I know what kind of light bulb it needs. Okay, it's, 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 just, it's just the way the younger people operate. Okay, the problem with that is in a system like the internet, there is an answer out there for everything. And if you want just an answer, oh, you can get an answer. You can get about four million answers. The question is, what answer are you getting? And here's where I feel like the church runs into a disconnect. Because oftentimes are some of the big questions, I hate to use the word ignore, but it almost feels like the church will ignore it, okay? And it doesn't necessarily come across as an, as an, as an antagonistic, a mean type ignore, but a, a word like, oh, well, just trust God. Which that's easy for us to say, but, you know, maybe we should actually entertain, you know, what the question is. Because my view on it, and I'll come back to this again, is my view on it, there's no question that's too big for God. Okay, there's, no, there's nothing science can throw at the church that has something that God didn't think about already or something that's going to pull one over on God. Like the Bible and Christ and, and that atoning work on the cross is sufficient for everything. So the church doesn't have to be afraid of anything that may come against us just because we're unfamiliar with it. Okay? Again, I'm going to tread very lightly here because partially because I don't want to give more credit uh, or credit shouldn't really be due. But speaking in general terms, um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that would be very, very unchristlike. But everyone in here has heard of the phrase Family Guy. I can't remember when Family Guy came out, but it was. I was in high school probably. But it has, it has had a swell of growth, ratings, viewership since the time that it came out. 
I don't, haven't seen numbers on it. I don't have statistics because I don't care to have the statistics, but it's one of the most popular shows of my generation. Horrible. I've only seen pieces of a few episodes. So you can find clips and little chunks here and there on, on the Internet. But Family Guy has this, such a nice name to it, and if you even watch just a little bit of it, you can tell there's something going on here that's not right. Well, the creator's an atheist, and he's very, very open about his faith, if you call it that, um, and he's very quick to use his creation of cartoons. He's got several cartoons. That's just the most popular one. But he's quick to use that as a platform to kind of spew his, I'll call it propaganda, okay? And the reason I call it that is because, especially when it comes to someone that just slanders another religion, they don't really have anything to work on. They just tear down everybody else. That's my piece on that, and I will get off that as quick as I can. There are other things. I had a a friend that uh, was really into this documentary that came out called Religious. Um, the guy who created it, he now has an entire talk show on Comedy Central and all this stuff. And basically his entire career has been made out of laughing at Jesus and to anyone else who claims to b- believe in any sort of faith. Okay, which is fine. This is nothing new. But it's, it's, it's kind of picking up a lot of steam with people that sit around and watch YouTube. Okay, which is a lot of people that are still in school or, you know, have time on their hands. Um, I have quotes from them. I'm not going to read it because, again, I think that is giving too much ground to something that shouldn't be giving ground. Um, they call people that, quote, are religious or have faith irrationalists, intellectual slaveholders. One man, actually, I had to write a documentary at NC State uh, about this, and I, w- I was very concerned and, and uh, probably had a burden similar to the burden I felt before I was going to give this message. And I came to my dad, and I was like, I don't know. Our, our, it's a communication class, and it's, it's all about public speaking. And this is the first time we've done anything besides just create a speech, and she's got us watching this documentary. It's like an hour-long documentary, and it's an atheist talking to an interviewer who's also an atheist, and it's just this whole talk about what atheism is. And then we're supposed to write a paper on the subject of logic and good reason and use atheism as our topic. And I, and I, I told my dad, I was like, there's no way I can in any, in any good conscience write this paper that she's asking me to write without using the Bible, without using the things that I know to be true, because I can just sit here and listen, and without even knowing about the Bible, I hear inconsistencies. And long story short, he, you know... I just, you know, kind of laid my heart out to him, wrote the paper the way I felt like it needed to be wrote, and I actually got a 97 in the class, the highest grade I had made to that point the entire time, and wound up actually pulling the grade up um, because every speech I made from there for was an A, which blew my mind because I expected the professor to not be receptive of it. I don't know what her faith was, but it was kind of, a, you know, one of those small little victory for God moments. Um, the only thing that she told me, she uh, she pulled three points off because I cited the Bible, which you're not allowed to cite the Bible apparently, but that's a whole other point. I'll take a 97. The man in that, the man in that uh, documentary was quoted recently, um, Ben Stein, um, guy who does the Clear Eye commercials back in the day. He did a documentary, or I guess it was a documentary, where he interviewed the guy. And since then, he's, he's kind of been a little more, the atheist has been a little more off the cuff and not so calculated in his approach. He made this statement, which upset, upset a lot of people recently. He said, Jesus would have been an atheist 
today if he knew what we knew. Which any of you, yeah, your stomach, you know, should turn over at that comment. Because just the idea, you know, it should be infuriating. You know, this is the son of God we're talking about. Okay. So this is something that's just one aspect of culture. And I really don't have time to go into all the full details of it. And I know pastor's going to deal with Romans 1 coming up a lot in the next year. But this is just Romans 1 all over again. Okay. This is nothing new. Okay. Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Okay. This is the idea of, you know, man trying to make the creation what we worship as opposed to the creator. Okay. And I have a whole list of, of worldview and all this kind of stuff. I was up here late last night trying to put it in the computer. And what I put in the computer was all I could get in there. So <clears throat> there's no pretty graph to put up. But there's, there's like five different, quote, worldviews. Um, naturalism, pantheism, theism, spiritism, and postmodernism. And I pray for my wife. She's not in here right now. But she's got to teach some of this stuff. She's got to teach it and just go for it. And, I mean, if she can find a way to insert her own personal opinion on it, she's got to be real careful because, you know, you can lose your job, you know, in a hurry. But all of these things are quote-unquote curriculum that our students are taught. Okay, which I'm not sitting here saying we need to lobby and, you know, like change the curriculum. That's, that's the wrong approach. We need to be able to field the questions that are out there. Okay? Because the, the issue that we run into as, as a church and as a broad evangelical body is that if we don't answer the questions, there are plenty of people out there that will. I try to make it a priority when I, when I ha- have youth uh, counseling or things like that to make sure that I don't, quote, fix people. First of all, it's not my job anyway. That's Christ's job, okay? But besides that, I don't want to come into the conversation to make it seem or to perceive like I would be trying to fix the person, okay? There's no way to have any type of Christ-like spread or, or, or passing on in the world if there's not even a conversation had, okay? There's, there's this, this idea that, at least what I try to hold to, is if you're coming into a, a conversation with someone who has a lot of questions, it's kind of hard to answer those questions if you don't let the questions be fully asked, okay? And a lot of times, people that have questions, they got a ton of questions, okay? And there's all these things that they, they just have in their mind, and a lot of times, they just need to be heard, okay? And it's not like they're against what you have to say, but they need you at least to hear their question, okay? And so and I try to, to at least be willing to participate in that because if I'm going to be honest with you, at some point along the way, I have had little questions myself, okay? Coming up in a, in a you know, home with all the access to all the toys and different stuff, like I had questions like, how did dinosaurs fit into the Bible? You know, what are all these other things? What are the books that I'm reading about? Like aliens and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just like cute little stuff. Like, oh, it's just, you know, Disney, you know. But there's, there's more to it. When, when a child grows up in that kind of environment, that these are all truths, then those truths have to match with the truth. And they do, but as a church, we have got to open that door. And Pastor mentioned, and I will not dive into this because it's a rabbit hole that goes forever. Pastor mentioned Genesis 6 last week. And as a whole, he mentioned three approaches to that. As a whole, people have avoided the approach that I believe to be true, and they kind of, you know, push it to the side or ignore, ignore what the verse says. And as a result, 
the History Channel, God bless the History Channel, um, as a reliable source. There actually are, are specific documentaries that are totally, they actually say they're fiction at the end of it. Um, I watched one of them, and I didn't see that last part. And I got on the internet and was like trying to figure out what was going on. And there's this whole blog of people that are all confused about this documentary that at the end of it, it said it was fiction. Um, like it was, it's just strange. And so anyway, the History Channel has picked that up, that one little verse in the Bible, and have made this whole thing out of it. And have tied together philosophies from ancient Greece, and, they, and they've made this whole thing. And as a church, we're just kind of sitting here letting this idea of this weird connection with God and stuff that's not God and all this weird stuff come together. And what happens is you pull away what we know to be pure, what we know to be the Word of God. And when you do that, you basically water down the Bible to where there's, it's no good at all. Okay, so and as a church that understands and appreciates the Bible, we've got to stand up for it. And that means answering those questions, okay? Fielding those questions, being okay with that, okay? When it comes to this idea, at least that I just mentioned on the History Channel, all of these things were made possible with evolution. I won't get into evolution. We're aware there's an, there's an evolution Christian debate or rift or what whatnot in society, okay? Some of these other things are pulling in, specifically the History Channel, have pulled in this idea of a theistic evolution. And certain churches are starting to open up to the idea that maybe that's possible. The Vatican has even made several public statements, and I won't go into that either because that's touchy. But it's, it's widespread, and it's happening quickly. But this idea of a theistic evolution is something that makes us feel good because we don't really want to go into the subject and we say, oh, well, it satisfies both sides. We got God, we got evolution. Just put it together, and we'll just call it a day. The problem is you're totally stripping the Bible out of everything that the Bible says. And you think that's okay. And a lot of times we have these questions with the Bible that we're not comfortable with asking and, and answering, and how do we deal with that? And it comes down to this idea in seminary um, of diversity. Diversity within Scripture. Okay, we know that Scripture is unified as one, but Scripture is also very diverse. If you've read Scripture, you know that there's lots of moving parts and lots of different cultural explanations from different people, right? So the point here, and that word may scare you to death, and that's fine. You don't have to know the word, but it's an, it's an important concept, and you, you already know what it is. Here is what I believe is one of these answers, a broad answer, to some of these problems that we don't want to deal with in the Bible. Okay, we know that the Bible has different things going on from different authors, different time periods, and people can arrange it in ways that say, oh, well, this contradicts whatever. The idea of a hypostatic union is one of the earliest church philosophies that has been agreed upon basically since the Bible has been around. It's the idea that God came to earth as a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Okay? That he died for the sins of the world. But for that salvation to really take place and for it to, to make sense, he was fully God and he was fully man. Okay? I was reading a book called Incarnation and uh, Inspiration, and it, 
use this great analogy that I feel really capture, captures Scripture. If we have all these different cultures and long periods of time where authors are speaking to us, why should we say that is a weakness when what God is doing is revealing to us his word? Okay, we know the logos of God is a very God-breathed God. You know, it's Jesus Christ, the word of God. It is God. Okay, it is in, inerrant, infallible, untouchable, ever, you know, everlasting. This is the word of God we're talking about. At the same time, God reveals himself to us in a completely human book written by human authors with human perspectives and cultures that they lived in. Why should that not be a weakness any more than to say that God came to earth as a man is weakness? In fact, it enhances the beauty of the way God operates. See, God reveals himself to us in a way that we can accept him. And by not fielding the questions, we miss something that could be, you know, a totally life-changing way of looking at Scripture, a way of looking at God. I know I'm running short on time, and I probably will have to table it and go at a different point. Um, I had a conversation I had a conversation with a with a man this week. Uh, I was doing research for this. Uh, I was running across his blog, and he had a whole whole website basically that he's built a following. He's a web developer. He's built a following on the Bible. He's got his views on the Bible, and his whole thing is, you know, I, I was I don't know if he was Catholic or whatnot, but he was a he had some knowledge of the Bible at some point and went away from the faith, and he's like a 54-year-old guy now, and he, he decided to pick up the King James Bible and just to read it. Okay, and he's got all this other stuff that he's come across from the, from the culture. Okay, so he's carrying all this stuff into this, this reading of the Bible, and he starts reading stuff, and it starts matching it with History Channel or, you know, whatever else he's seen. And he's like, oh, this all makes so sense. And he's going to, you know, make a website. It's going to, you know, have all these different pages explaining you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, explaining all these different things that happened in the Bible. And so he had a little link on there to contact him. And I contacted him and said, you know, this long, you know, I tried to type up a nice email to at least have a conversation with the man. So can you answer me one thing? Where do you put the crucifixion and resurrection, the historical event of the man Jesus Christ? Because this is one thing, you have this nice website about all these events in the Bible. I understand where your perspective is coming from on some of these things. I understand how you can come to these conclusions. But you, you totally ignore, in my opinion, the one event that ties all of this together. All of these works over all this period of time. One central event that is pretty much widely accepted by all of society. Okay? As a man that was crucified on the cross and no one knows where the body's at. Where do you put that event? And he replied back to me. I was standing in the voters' line and trying to get on my smartphone, and the smartphone died, and it was just a, a mess. I think I upset Christy in the process. But anyway, I got home, and I typed in this long email because he basically responded to me. He said, you know what? That's been the one thing that's kept me from fitting into the mainstream. And he said that he didn't understand how God could come down as a man 
sacrificed himself to become sacrificed on the cross and that payment be acceptable to him. Okay, so he's got all this other stuff figured out, but this basic kind of idea of God, the God-man Jesus Christ, that's the one thing that's tripping him up. He, and he said to me, I actually accept the divinity of Christ. And he went on to talk about how he's going to be a great counselor and, you know, all this kind of stuff, and he's going to lead us back into this. But he didn't think that we had a sin problem. And he didn't think that his death on the cross was any type of sacrifice for sin. Because he didn't understand why sacrifice was important and it wasn't really explained. And, you know, he had these questions. But the one main question he had, which he didn't express on the website, by the way. The website seemed very confident in what he believed. The one main question he had is the one thing which we hold up as most important. And by us as a church not reaching out, and this is somebody who's not a millennial, by the way. He's a 54-year-old man with a wife and cats and whatever. He should have a picture of his house on his website. This is, a, this is a man, just a normal man, that is as lost as anyone, but yet accepts Jesus Christ as God. But yet he's got these missing pieces where he just doesn't understand how it would make sense. How could God come down and sacrifice himself for mankind? His word was silliness. He says, you don't seem like a silly person. I know you're trying to have this great conversation with me, and you're actually, you know, coming across very caring and very, you know, nice-spirited. But it just doesn't make sense. And so I had other a deeper point that I was going to go into about the Great Commission, but basically, here's what, we're, here's what we're at as a church. I honestly feel that we are at a crossroads individually, okay? There are all these kind of ideas out there on what to do and, and how to approach this. We personally have got to have an experience with our Creator. We have got to come to the throne of grace, Okay, we all know what the idea is to be a disciple of Christ, to make disciples. But in order to make a disciple, we have to be a disciple. And a disciple is something that's a very, <clears throat> it's a very all-consuming type of term. Okay, these disciples that live with Christ, they actually lived with him. Like it was their life. It wasn't something they, they checked in and checked out of. Okay. For us to become a church effective at reaching out, we've actually got to be connected to the one that loves us, okay? To the relationship that we are called to be in at all times. I'm not saying you won't go through dry seasons. I'm not saying any of that. But the point is to go back and continue to be reconnected. And through his Holy Spirit, through his grace, allow him to begin to mold you into the character of Christ. And as that happens, you will have confidence and understanding that all this stuff out here in the world, it's not bigger than God. It's not bigger than Christ. It's not bigger than the word that we've given, that we've been given. It's, it's, it may have issues that are uncomfortable if you've never been there. But yet at the same time, once you go there, once you go to God in prayer, once you read the Bible and kind of look at the whole picture... See, we often have an issue of taking stuff out of context. We proof text things. Okay, everybody's got a, that's why there's so many divisions in the church. Okay, and sectarianism 
which is my word of denominations, is all over the Bible, and it's basically a don't do it. Okay? But the reason we have this is because the human nature is to jump to, well, this feels right to me, and we don't look at the entire picture. We just look at this one verse here, this one book here, and it doesn't make sense. But when we look at the entire work of God as the Bible, we come to the Lord as the Lord of glory that came and died for our sins as a substitutionary event. That's another thing he had a hard time with. Why would God substitute? That doesn't make any kind of sense. Yeah, you know what? It doesn't make sense. That's why it's so great. There's lots of stuff in this world that makes sense. It's really not that great. This is the one thing that doesn't make sense, and I'm glad it doesn't make sense. Because if it made sense, it's probably something I could come up with, and there wouldn't be much to it. There'd be no value in it. This is the most unbelievably extraordinary thing that we can ever wrap our minds around, and we can't. But that's what makes it so great. Because God loved us a creation so worthless and so unimportant that we don't deserve anything. Yet he loved us to the point of giving himself, which is the complete opposite. You have the most omnipotent, wonderful, amazing God, the the source of all holiness and joy in the world. And that is the substitution that he made because he wants a relationship. I'm going to ask Matt and the praise team if you guys would come up and we will go into Worthy as the Lamb again. I'd like to pray for us and basically turn it back over to pastor for a time of ministry. I know the spaghetti's out there and we'll, we'll get there, but that's, that's not important at this point in time. Um, I just challenge you and urge you. I know <clears throat> I've already sensed in the, in, the, in the spirit that there are several here that, you know, maybe you're, this morning was incredible and, you're, you know, you're already, this is a continuation of a move of God that, that, you know, something fresh in your life. And this is just a continuation. Maybe you're in that spot where, you, you know, this is hard. You know, this is something where, you know, you've got questions, you've got, you know, a dryness in your life. Okay, but, but God, <clears throat> God is not against you having questions. He's not against you being dry. He's okay if you don't have all the answers. Because he does. That's the point. Christ is the source. And if we can, in humility, actually come to him with honesty and openness, then he'll make the difference. I'm going to pray. And as we worship feel free to come forward. There's something special about the altar. I don't have time to go into it any longer than that, but there's, there's, there's something special about the altar. I challenge you, if you would, to come forward to the altar and worship God and just meet him there. And with that, I'll turn it over to Pastor. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, for the opportunity to come into your presence. God, I pray, Lord, that God, that this morning, Lord, your word God, when I say your word, I mean the the resurrected, living incredible Savior that is Jesus Christ, Lord that your word, Lord would penetrate our hearts 
God, that we would have a newer, fresher relationship, God, with him that we've ever had before. God, that we as an individual, God, may not slip into the trend that is our culture. God, I pray that you would set your church on fire even here in America. God, that we would not have to stand by and let something so good, so pure, that has been cultivated through so many years, God, fall to the wayside. God, I believe it starts with us. I believe it starts with humility. And I believe it starts with repentance. And I pray, God, that you would bring us each to that point. And this upright in Jesus' name. Amen.